In the cover story for our June issue, the classicist Ralph McLaughlin writes about Imperial Rome's desire for an African empire. His article describes a fierce struggle for trade, land, and the search for the source of the Nile. History Today editor Paul Lay spoke to Raoul recently by phone to discuss the subject in greater detail. Raoul, the Romans were just one of uh, many powerful regimes in the classical era, and the products of this wide world uh, came into the lives of Romans um, in the cities where spices, for example, were traded and other products. Um, and one of those uh, places in the wider world was the kingdom of Moreau. Can you tell us where that kingdom is and, and what it is? Right. Um, Moreau has a very, very ancient past. Um, I mean, we have records from the, the time of the earliest pharaohs uh, describing this kingdom to the south of Egypt. Um, it, it occupies a very large stretch of territory, uh, probably as long as the, the Nile, uh, controlled by Egypt. Um, and what we find is that uh, Egypt, uh, during the Old Kingdom period, begins uh, trading, receiving goods from this territory, um, which is a conduit a way through the Sahara uh, to get to the uh, the goods, the resources of sub-Saharan Africa. So uh, ivory and um, African slaves and spices. Um, well, what the Americans call spices, but um, incenses, um, frankincense and myrrh, uh, these fragrant resins produced in Somalia, which are then uh, brought across to the Nile and, and trafficked down uh, into Egyptian territory. And they become very important for religious rites um, in Egypt and then by the Greeks and then by the Romans. Um, the spices uh, and incenses used in mummification processes. So these are very significant for Egyptian society. And the people who inhabit this land between uh, North Africa and sub-Saharan Africa in uh, the earliest times are called the Kush. Yes. And can you tell us something about them? Because they're a warrior race, essentially, or at least they became that, didn't they? Yes. Um, what you find is that the, the Egyptians, they extend their territory. They uh, move south into the northern Sudan, um, into these kind of sub-Saharan territories. And they engage with these
and we have um, inscriptions from this time. We have these very striking images of the uh, these, these Nubians, these, these Kush people, uh, presented as pharaohs, and they kind of implant more of their culture on Egypt. Um, and that lasts for about a century uh, until you have uh, invasions from the Near East and uh, the Egyptians re-establishing their, their authority. And so those invasions from the Near East would include the Persian Empire? Yes, yes. Uh, of course, the, the, the Persians expand to take most of these Near Eastern civilizations, um, including Egypt. And there is a confrontation then between the, the Persians and the, um, the, the Kush. Uh, what you have is a, a Cambyses, the, the second, the, the Persian king, uh, decides to investigate the possibilities of extending his empire into uh, African territory. And he sends a, a very large army south um, along the Nile. Um, and I mean, into these kind of narrow gorges and, and canyons and uh, there's deserts and, and uh, rocky mountains on, on either side. So this is somewhere quite extreme and it really tests the limits of what the Persians can do. And they are hasty in their attack. They, they don't bring enough supplies. They, they march into the desert. They follow the, the route of the Nile and they run out of supplies. Uh, there's rumors of cannibalism in the army and the king has to return to Egypt. Um, and which king is this? Uh, Cambyses. He has to return to Egypt um, and accept that, that uh, Nubia and, and the Kush may be uh, beyond the limits of his conquest. And so that's the background um, to the story. Um, but the meat of it is very much uh, the confrontation between Moreau and the Roman Empire. And the crucial period here seems to be that of uh, the final civil war of the Roman Republic, uh, when we have uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra VII, the, the famous uh, but historical uh, Cleopatra, and Octavian, uh, the future Augustus, on the other side. Yes, that's right. Uh, we have a situation where uh, Augustus wins the civil war. He captures Egypt. He dissolves the Ptolemaic dynasty. And he installs a governor, um, a man called Cornelius Gallus, uh, a, a military officer in charge of Egypt. And as well as being a military man, uh, Gallus has a certain reputation for being a poet. Um, and he's highly regarded by uh, figures as famous as Virgil and Ovid, isn't he? Yes, that's right. Um, he's, well, until recently, we didn't have any extracts from his, his work. Uh, so there was a lot of grand statements made about his significance and his skill of um, writing poetic verse. Um, so he is placed in charge and he's given this what was a, a former kingdom, um, an enormous territory and, and very wealthy. And early on in his uh, command, he has to lead the army south and uh, sort of secure the frontiers of Egypt um, and suppress a revolt. But he also comes into contact with uh, ambassadors from Kush. And so that's the kingdom of Moreau. And, and what is their relationship like between, uh, between um, Cornelius Gallus and his forces and those of Moreau? Well, 
grow has it has maintained diplomatic contacts with the Ptolemies, these Greek rulers, um, and even Cleopatra herself. Uh, so they are, I suppose, vaguely aware of the situation in the Mediterranean, um, and certainly Egypt and, and Greek Egypt. But what you find with uh, Gallus is that he may he may overstate his own influence and, and political authority. Uh, he sets up these these grand monumental inscriptions that proclaim that he has um, indoctrinated Moreau. He has brought Moreau within the Roman sphere. He has almost created a situation where Moreau would be a, a vassal state of the Roman Empire. Um, so that's what he says in the Latin version of his inscription. But in the Greek inscription, it's far more moderate language. Um, it's far more diplomatic and Really, what might have occurred is there was a, an acceptance of a, an alliance or perhaps non-aggression between the two states. And we finally have this project that seems uh, both modern uh, and, and, and so ancient too, uh, which is um, the attempt to find the source of the Nile or to get some idea of the scale of the Nile there, the White Nile. And this project, a Roman project, ends in disaster. Yes, I mean, it had fascinated the ancient world where exactly the sources of the Nile were. Um, these these seasonal surges of uh, water that, that came from somewhere uh, deep in Africa. And when you consider that most of the rest of North Africa is desert, it, it's uh, rock and sandy plains and gravel valleys and uh, sand dunes. But in the case of the Nile, there is this water course. And during the, the mid-first century AD, uh, Nero is looking for new sources of wealth. This is the emperor Nero. Now. Yes, yes. Uh, there's this, the great fire in Rome, there's other disasters. The emperor is... Um, a spendthrift with his, with his money. He, he is patronizing a lot of people, um, spending a lot of wealth on, on grand projects, um, his golden palace in, in Rome. Uh, so there is a search for wealth, a search for new revenue sources. And the emperor uh, seeks to expand the empire, looking at the possibilities of that. And of course, um, Moreau is a target. Um, it's controls the Sudan, it controls access to Africa. And the Romans aren't sure what's done there. Um, they know that, well, ivory is extremely valuable in Roman society. Uh, ebony is extremely valuable. Um, so he organizes a party. He manages a group of uh, centurions and uh, people chosen from the Praetorian Guard, uh, bodyguard in Rome. And they are sent out on a mission. Uh, they are sent south to make contact with the King of Moreau and ask for guides and uh, assistance and letters of introduction to other African kingdoms as they head south to try to find the, the source of the Nile. And they encounter uh, a huge uh, geographical and environmental barrier, which is the Sud. Exactly. This, this mass of rotting, fetid vegetation. Um, the size of this, this 
this area in um, during the wet season. It's probably the size of England. And where are we talking about this in, in terms of modern geographical terms? Where is it now? It would be uh, the White Nile. In, so, in, in southern Sudan? Yes. Um, en route to, uh, I suppose, Lake Victoria. Uh, and the, 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 well, people still argue about the sources of the Nile. But it wasn't until the, the age of the explorers, the uh, colonial um, David Livingston, people like that, uh, 19th century explorers, that they were actually able to get round the, the, the Sud, get, get across it, um, and manage to find uh, Lake Victoria and uh, these other um, possible sources, feed a river. And, the, and so they returned to Rome having failed to find the source, but um, having gone deeper south into Africa than uh, Europeans were to do for almost two millennia. Yes. Uh, they couldn't find a way across the flood. It was disease, it was the heat, it was the um, threat of starvation, um, just the enormity of this feature. And they reported to Nero that, um, well, Nero and Seneca, the, the statesman philosopher, they said that they had seen water issuing from the sud, and they assumed that there was some, I suppose, underground feeder lake, um, a kind of fountain where the Nile bubbled up into this vast expanse. And for a long time, that was the best solution anyone could offer. Mm. Well, it's a fascinating tale, Raoul, and um, it's the cover story on the new edition of History Today, the June edition of History Today. So thank you very much for that. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.